This is the Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Waylee Gray. Hey, you know how many physicians today are feeling overwhelmed and trapped living that busy and unfulfilling life? Yet more than ever, we as physicians are keenly aware that life is precious and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. My mission is to help physicians start living their best life now by discovering and achieving their wildest travel dreams. So come, join us on this journey. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited that you are here this week. And it has been such a busy but good week. And I am so excited to bring on the guest today. I met Dr. Deanna through a common a program that we're in together. And I actually met her in person about a year ago. And even this year that I've met her, she was already a really amazing person. But I just see that she's just grown so much in this this year's time. I'm super excited to bring her on. There's so much I want to ask her, and I'm going to have her introduce herself. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Deanna Marcado Marmarash. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's been an amazing experience getting to know you and being together, EBS sisters. So me. So I'm a family medicine physician, and I'm an ADHD life coach for physicians or for anybody who feels like they have chronic procrastination or time blindness, and they're wanting to create systems to allow them to leave work at work and have more freedom of time. And so that way you can follow the passion that you desire, whether it's writing your book or just hanging out with your family or deciding that you want to work out and learn how to do samba now or something. I am still practicing full-time. I work at a clinic and at the hospital. As of January, I'm no longer the medical director for the nursing home, but I think that was a good decision. Sometimes we want to do 10,000 things and we have to prioritize and uh, make decisions so that you are doing things that are aligned and that, and that still feel right. And so coaching has obviously substituted for the nursing home, so to say, and it's been an amazing journey the last two years that I've been able to do this. And, and coaching actually came to me. I didn't realize that I was living from a life of reactivity, like a reaction to whatever was happening to me. And I thought it, that was the norm that I was always supposed to put my patient first and everybody else's needs first. And not that you shouldn't, because obviously life is a dance. But the day that I realized that I was the most imp important patient in the room and that if my mind and my heart weren't right, like it didn't matter how much I wanted to give to the other person because I just could not concentrate or I could not have enough energy or to, to do the how I wanted to show up. And so coaching allowed me to see that my diagnosis of ADHD was just a diagnosis, that it wasn't any different from high blood pressure or from cholesterol or from diabetes. And that if you knew you had something, at least now you had the awareness. And from there, you could 
step into acceptance. And from there, then you took actions to learn about it and do something about it, right? If you have high blood pressure, then you know, okay, maybe I shouldn't be eating everything with salt, right? If you have diabetes, okay, maybe I shouldn't be eating all those extra servings of rice or whatever, right? And so once I realized that whatever I thought were my quote unquote inconsiderations, meaning I didn't have awareness of time. So I kept judging myself for always being so late in clinic and for taking so long and doing some charts and stuff like that. And I was doing 20 to 30 hours outside of work, trying to mask how hard I was working because I didn't want everybody else to know that I was working that hard. And I had 300 notes open all the time. And that was just the norm, I thought. And I thought it was a small price to pay for being able to have the privilege to show up for my patients. And I think I never got myself into trouble, although some of us do who have ADHD get ourselves into legal trouble because we don't close notes or we get fired or stuff like that. But I think part of our ADHD is also being able to read the room and to make those connections that are, I don't know, now I know it's intuition or kind of like self-awareness, right? And at that point, you don't realize that you have that connection and you do have that connection. That's why I think I never got myself in trouble, so to say, because I made those connections with my patients. And of course, they kept writing wonderful letters and doing this and doing that. And I think that's what kept me employed. (laughs) But now I understand that ADHD is a spectrum and that even if you don't have ADHD, If at some point we're not taking care of ourselves and we don't realize that we're not taking care of ourselves because we're not eating or we're not taking breaks or we're not setting boundaries, we eventually are going to get burned out and we're all going to feel like we have ADHD. And so we have to set up systems to help ourselves. Mm. So that's my story. (laughs) Oh, I love it. And and just for context, I I think you said this, but I just want to make this also clear because I also know this is your background. You're working full time as a family physician, and I believe you you have clinics, so you have outpatient practice, but you also see patients inpatient. Is that right? Yes. I want to say I'm 80% clinic and 20% hospital. I work in a small area in Texas. It's rural. It's in Victoria, Texas. I've been here six years now. When I joined, there was only two, two of us, <laughs> two mm. physicians. And so it was a little bit hard at the beginning, but it wasn't. I trained at Baylor and it wasn't Bentop type of thing. So I was like, oh, I can handle a UTI or a pneumonia or something like that. And so it, it's a small hospital. Like we have 10 beds. So if we have, you know, I, I think we have 13 beds, but if we have 10 patients, we're like, oh my God, we're full, right? So it's small, but it still keeps you on your toes because it's that switching. So when we're rounding, like we're rounding for a whole week and you're on call the whole week and you're still seeing your patients. It's not like your patients go away at the clinic. So that's where it can get, it would get me into trouble sometimes because the nurses would call for any random thing. And of course, a distraction, like even though for some people without ADHD, it might be like two seconds and they get back into where they, what they were. But for some of us, like it could be like, five minutes later, you're like, what was I doing? And like, (laughs) so it takes you a while to get back to what you were doing. So yeah, so I do the hospital and I do that. But at the same time, it keeps you on your toes, right? So you're never bored and you keep seeing different things. And, and I think that's why I've been 
I want to say successful because I don't ever know what's coming through the door. It could be baby, a newborn that I'm examining, or it could be somebody who wants to be evaluated for dementia or somebody who wants to be evaluated for ADHD or somebody who's having sleep apnea problems. That could be anything. And so it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. So the background is you're working full-time inpatient, outpatient, kind of rural practice, really demanding practice. And you were (laughs) spending a lot of time at home and outside of work hours charting, and there were still all these unfinished charts. And I can only imagine how stressful that, even if you don't think about it, just that weight of having 200 charts that are still open, that like that's a lot of suffering right there. Yeah, and like even though you were off finally for the weekend because you're not on call, like you're not off because I had to close all those charts. I have a very supportive husband. I, I say he's my ADHD pill because if had I not had him, I think like I would have probably gotten myself into trouble because unfortunately, after I finished residency, I got told, hey, you're now an attending, like go get your own psych person. Don't come to the student health anymore. And when I did, unfortunately, I picked a random person without doing my research of if this psychiatrist treats professional ADHD people. And so when I did, they were like, oh, you're a physician. You should know better. You outgrow ADHD. And I didn't question them. I just thought, well, they're the specialists. Like, okay, well, I guess I outgrow it. Luckily, I had already taken my board exams. Thank God. <laughs> I don't know what would have happened. Although now I understand that medications only help a part and it's everything else that that can help you. And, and I didn't put it together that every time I was studying, I was trying to study, like listening to things as I'm walking. And now I understand I'm trying to walk and trying to stimulate my brain and get more oxygen. And so your, your body is so smart. It, it will always try to compensate. But unfortunately, sometimes it, it wants to compensate with food <laughs> or with lots of coffee or with different things, right? Mm. So this is the thing that like struck me about you. By the time I met you, you had already been blasting the struggles that physicians who have ADHD or time blindness um, have, and it's okay, there's solutions for them. And, you know, and here's my story. And I remember distinctly hearing that story you have for the first time where, and just going back a little bit more, my understanding is you were diagnosed with ADHD in medical school. And then after you were diagnosed, you were medicated and things got a lot better after that. And then you talk about the story of when when you when you were done and became an attending, that was where that lapse in care came in. Uh, And there it sounded like there was a a large lapse in care until you were able to get help again many years to the pandemic. Yeah, right. Yeah. From 2013 to the pandemic. So it was a big, big lapse. Almost 10 years. Right. (laughs) Where where you had untreated ADHD and some of the consequences of that were these 200 charts piling up, spending 20 hours every week trying to chart and and still trying to keep it together. I mean, you have kids and young kids and you're married and magically you, you were feeling like life was getting harder and harder. And so the thing that struck me, and I, I remember making this comment to you, is I'm like, wow, Deanna, you're, thanks to you, people are now learning about what it's like living with ADHD. And even when I had, because I have been open about this too, is I struggle with charting. That's not one of my, well, that's an understatement. It's not even one of my favorite things to do. I I really do not (laughs) like doing it. It just, to me, I'm like, this is a waste of my time. And I didn't come to that initial 
conclusion, I started with, why am I so bad at this? How come no other physicians are struggling with this? You know, why don't they have a hard time finishing the chart and getting what the patient needs in the time and then go home on time? And it seemed like everybody, everybody was going home on time except me, or I was the only one who was turning, which I'm sure was not true. But that I think often because physicians don't openly share our struggles, that's sort of the assumption that I didn't even question it. It was more like internal internalization that I had. And so when you spoke out, you used terms like time blindness. And I'm like, that's interesting. Like, I, th- I've never heard that term before, but I can really relate to this term. <laughs> like, there, there are definitely times, many times when I am in my husband jokes, like, he's like, don't you have an internal clock? I'm like, no, like time's a construct. So, and, and so just by you sort of being vocal about your story, your struggles, and maybe the struggles that are common to other physicians, you've done such a big service for the medical community. And we can certainly talk more about the the coaching and the services that you offer. But the the question I asked you was like, wow, like you you did so much. And you, you were like, oh, well, there was one time when I was totally in the closet about this. And I was so surprised when you told me that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that story? Because I just assumed that you're always blasting this, but that's not true. No, actually, it was Sunny Smith. I joined her Empowering Women Physicians in October of 2020. That was the first time I said out loud, I have ADHD and I'm broken. And like, that's it. You said out loud to yourself or to a group of people? To a group of people. Like, I think prior to that, maybe five people knew, like my husband and like my mom and like very few Maybe my study buddy, like when I got diagnosed, very few people knew because in my mind, like I'm the oldest in my family and I'm the first one to go to medical school. Well, I was the first one to go to college, right? I was the first one to go to medical school. And I I come from a big family on both sides, like seven and one side, 11 and the other. Like my, I have lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. So I was the first one to go and do all these things. Wow. And so it was a lot of pressure. Like I needed to do this, not just for me, but I had to do it for my family and for all the loans I was taking out. So it was (laughs) a lot of pressure for me. And all of a sudden, like in my mind, I was the smart one. That's what I had going for me. So If all of a sudden I wasn't the smart one in my mind, that's what my mind was telling me. If I wasn't the smart one because I was no longer perfect because I had this ADHD thing, like nobody could find out about it because I needed to keep like the mask that I was the the smart one. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's that was my role in my community. (laughs) And so most people would have probably felt like relieved that they finally find out why you're interrupting people or why you're always late or why you keep losing your stuff, right? But to me, it wasn't that. And even when they did the, the, the screening, they told me that I was two years behind in my English compared to my peers or compared to people who have gone through all the schooling that I had gone through. And you would have thought that that's what would have bothered me, but that didn't bother me. I was like, well, whatever. I mean, English is my second language. I don't care. But what bothered me was that I could not control something. And so that's what kept telling me in my brain that that I was broken, uh, that, da, 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 da. and so I was very embarrassed about it and I didn't want to tell anybody about it. But it was through the coaching that Sunny pointed out, like she put that in the C line, which means the circumstance line. I would have never thought 
Like my mind was, I have ADHD. I'm broken. That's my thought. Like, that's the fact. Like, I kept thinking that was the fact. And when she disconnected it for me, and she's like, well, you could think whatever you want about ADHD. You could think about it like it's the best thing ever or it's the worst thing ever. And you get to decide which one helps you, which one serves you. And I was like, wait, what? I have I have a possibility of looking at it like that? So I think that once I really started to untangle that, really started to think, well, I don't judge any of my patients for having any of that. Why am I judging myself so harshly? Like, it's not like I asked for it either. It's a neurological thing. Like you're born with it. And then I started looking around. I was like, oh my God, everybody in my family has it. No wonder I couldn't see it because to me, that's the norm. Like we're used to like bickering at each other and being hypersensitive, rejection, sensitivity, dysphobia. We get pissed off about something that some other person, it might have seemed like irrelevant. And they're like, what, what's wrong with that person? Right. But now I understand all that to be normal with, with ADHD because I decided to look into it, to try to understand myself, to be curious. But that's the thing, like most of my colleagues don't know about that because they don't have that type of interest. I have that type of interest because it affects me and it could affect my kids. And, and I want to be able to support them because if you think about it this way, it's like you want to do something. You know you need to do something, yet it feels like you have to be like up to a deadline, like you're almost going to die before you actually do the thing. And why? It's because we don't have this time awareness. Like we think, oh, we have a whole month to do that. That's a lot of time, right? And like, oh, it's two days. Oh, it's an hour due, right? And it just gets away. And you, the things that you think are going to take you no time, take you a lot of time, (laughs) It takes you three or four times the time and you way underestimate how long it's going to take you. And the things that you don't like, you way overestimate so you don't even start. And so the point is that I didn't want to share how hard I was working on the things with other people because I was embarrassed. I didn't want them to know I had to study like three or four times as hard or as long that I didn't want them to know I had to read the book like five times or that I finally gave up reading the book and I bought the audiobook or I paid somebody to read it and I can just walk around. And like, I didn't want to tell them that I had to find different ways because to me, that was embarrassing that, like you said, I wasn't doing exactly what everybody else was doing. And so I had to find out ways to draw things so that it would make sense to me. And and yes, it took a lot of time, but then like it really cemented it. And then I learned to spatially remember things from multiple tests. I'd be like, oh, that was on this side of the, okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. And that's how I would like narrow it down because otherwise, like I could tell you about it, but I couldn't recall it like in the moment in time because it wasn't, that was just not how my brain thought. And so for me, standard tests were like the death of me. And I was, I would always pass, but like by a hair. (laughs) And actually my very first test, I didn't pass. I missed it by one point. And I, and that, that was, that was like heartbreaking for me. And I, enough so that I decided, okay, I'm gonna go take this exam somewhere else. I'm going to go study. I'm going to take time off from, from school to go do like a boot camp or something and then go take it. But, you know, most of us don't realize, again, this timeline is like we keep pushing each other. <laughs> we keep pushing it because you, you know why you're doing it. 
So that passion for helping the patient drives you, but it drives you at the expense of yourself because you don't realize that not sleeping does not help you. You know, if you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not going to be ready to go. But you think that, okay, let me just take another coffee or let me just whatever. And so you, you trick yourself into it. I, I love your story, this part of your story. It's such an amazing and powerful example of how we can go from shame and embarrassment and not accepting ourselves to when we actually embrace who we really are. When we're able to just be honest, take that honest look at who is it that who we are. And then even though there is all this shame and all this sort of chatter in our mind about it, to let that go for a little bit and just try to, like like you said, approach it with curiosity. Who else is out there that maybe has ADHD? Does ADHD mean that I am not smart? I'm not the smart one in the family. Right. And then as you did your research, you learn, as I did, because I was in your program, too, some of the books that are out there. It's just like a lot of other kind of mental, quote, disorders. Right. Because you're like, oh, my gosh, depression. Like, that sounds so scary and that that would be a terrible thing to have. And then you realize there are tons of brilliant, famous people who have depression, right, who have bipolar. And same with ADHD. It's in some ways, as I learn more about it, I'm like, oh, it's actually what drives innovation. Like the the ADHD trait is what drives innovation in our society. These are the trailblazers and the rule breakers. And especially that time, I still believe time is a construct. I'll have timers in front of me and <laughs> things like that to try to help help me remember time. but. There's also, there's like a flow state that I think comes more naturally to people who have ADHD because they're not aware of time. I, I don't have to worry about the clock ticking. If I'm being yeah. really inspired and creative, I just focus on that. I, I think it's so awesome how you turn this story around in your head. The, the story that you had for yourself at first of shame and and just like embarrassment. And then now, now you are blasting. I mean, this what you're saying that you, you went through the process of how you went from having this totally negative thoughts and now accepting it, but you've now taken it a step farther. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. And I don't know how you do all of this because you do your full-time physician job, but now you've also helped a lot of physicians in, in this space on, on those who are struggling with either ADHD or time management and that sort of thing. So thank you for asking me that question. My very first interview in a podcast was I shared my story with Tracy Atsuka and she is a lawyer out of California and she has a podcast which is called ADHD for smart women and she helped me tell my story about medical school and from me telling that story that was February 2021 from me telling that story all of a sudden, all these medical students and physicians from all over the world started to send me emails. Oh, my God, thank you for telling. Like, I thought I was the only one. I was. It was cool to be able to feel like somebody out there could relate to you and could connect with you. And I had just started in January, like the life coach school. And I didn't even really think I would be a coach. Like I just wanted to go through the process of understanding myself more because it seemed like the people who were using these tools 
they were doing really well. And as I went through it, I kept trying to find physicians like in my same struggles or challenges, so to say, and that wanting to do better, right? And then I stumbled upon a lecture that said high achieving ADHD professionals. And most people think like if you have ADHD, that you're probably like not doing much. But actually, like you just said, because we sometimes are impulsive, (laughs) I say EWP was the best impulsive decision I made, because sometimes we are impulsive. We don't know all the steps. And it's okay, like we just need one step. Like we just need the next step and then the next step and we keep going. And because we don't realize how long it would take (laughs) or what it would take, we don't make it mean anything that we might have to try X, Y, and C 5,000 times, right? And so I think that we have 10,000 ideas and that's good and bad because then we start 10,000 things (laughs) and we don't complete 10,000 things. But the point is that when you start to ask yourself, Is this something that would matter in five years and 10 years? And then that helps you to step into, yes, it would. Now I'm sharing with everybody because the more that other people are aware, especially if you're a physician, you might be able to either diagnose yourself or diagnose your kids or diagnose your coworker. And the ripple effect of getting that diagnosis, then at least now you can start to take steps towards helping yourself. Now, Why am I helping physicians? Because I feel like if you're doing medicine, you have been called to do medicine because they don't pay us enough for what we do. So if you've been called to do medicine, you might as well have all the tools so that you can do what you need to do. That was part one of a two-part interview with Dr. Deanna Marcado Marmarosh. I'm so grateful that she agreed to come on the podcast and share her story. It is such a powerful story, and I can't wait to share part two with you next week. So stay tuned. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend and go on your favorite podcast app to give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps us to get the word out there. Also, I am really excited to announce I've started a online Facebook community for physicians. Go and search for Dare to Dream Physician Travel. That's the name of the Facebook group. If you have trouble finding us, the link is also in the show notes. I hope to see you on the inside.